Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter two. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through Exodus uh, over over the rest of the year, and we're finally in uh, the middle part of Exodus chapter two, and we're going to take three weeks in Exodus two, uh, just to make sure we can get through a whole year. But we'll be in Exodus two, uh, verses eleven through twenty-two this morning, continuing this journey. Uh, and again, just a way for us to continue to do this together. As a family, we've created some resources. So coming up here on the screen is a study guide for you. So if you are looking for a way to dig deeper into this uh, account of Exodus, you can scan that QR code with the camera app on your phone and uh, you can get some more information. Download a study guide with some discussion questions, ways for you to dig deeper each week into the passage that we're studying. So I'll invite you to that journey. It's also on our website, SharonChurch.com, and you can have a whole website full of resources for you there. If you're leading a family, you're looking ways, how do I, how do I teach my kids about who Jesus is? We also have a family guide for you. Uh, part one, take you through the first 10 weeks or so of this study. You can scan that code. You can download it right to your phone so you don't have to um, have any, a paper copy and, and lose that then ask, have to find a new one. You can just keep it on your phone and then lead your kids through a series of questions, just whether you're in the car, you sit down at dinner, uh, whatever it is. So that's part of, of what we have as we continue to study. And again, on our website, plenty of resources as well. Hey, Carrie, would you mind to bring the lights up just a little bit so they can see their Bibles? It's not working. Let there be, okay. That was too far. That was, I should not have. All right. All right. Thanks, Gary. All right. So uh, we're going to continue this morning. Up here now on the screen is going to be a list of the passages that I'm going to use this morning. So they'll come up here. I'm not going to read all of them. Uh, just for sake of time and just to keep things moving forward. So if you wanna take a picture of that or write it down and, and look at it throughout this week, I do want you to know that what I'm teaching this morning has come from the Bible. I haven't made it up. And so this would be helpful to you, but I'm gonna reference a few of these uh, throughout the morning. So it might be helpful for you to be able to go back and look at them this week just to make sure. I like seeing the flash photography. That's awesome. Uh, just to make sure that I'm actually teaching the truth. So are we good? All right, let's, let's continue now our, our story. Exodus chapter two, I'm gonna read these verses and then I wanna just give us some context, get us around the scope of scripture again, the scope of what's happening in the story and then we're gonna dig in and we're gonna pull a lot from other things that have happened in scripture up until this point and things that will happen in scripture uh, beyond this point. Exodus chapter two, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, you can circle, underline, highlight that, and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Circle that again. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Oh, I don't know what's wrong. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, underline that word. And he sat down by a well. 
Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. So they came home to their father Ruel and he said, how is it you've come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us, circle that word, out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? And why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah and she gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So at this point, uh, from verse 10 to verse 11, we've jumped 38 years or so. A lot of detail left out. But if you wanna watch The Prince of Egypt, you can catch up as to where things are. That was from Chris McGowan. Uh, but that's, all that happens there. So we've jumped 38, 39, 37 years already, just from verse uh, 10 to verse 11. So a lot has happened. So Acts chapter seven, uh, Stephen, uh, a deacon, the first deacon appointed, is standing before the council about to be murdered, stoned to death. And he stands before them and he recounts the entire history of the Hebrew people. And he gives great account as to what's actually happened to Moses in between these times. And what we know is he's actually been in Pharaoh's court. He's been educated as an Egyptian. He's risen to power. He, he's done a lot of great things over, the, over these past 38 years or so. But what you're gonna notice throughout this passage is how your emotions get a little bit confused as to what to make of Moses. And as you continue to read throughout the book of Exodus, it just gets worse because people are confusing, aren't they? They're just confusing. Like sometimes I feel like they're good and sometimes I think they are the most evil thing that's ever lived on the earth. Sometimes uh, that's my children. Uh, sometimes that might be a spouse. Sometimes that's a, a mother or a father. Sometimes it's just the guy uh, in line at Publix. He was so nice until he got in line. And then his 40 items in the 10 item or less line made him an evil person. Why would you come here? Why? People are confusing. They're a mixed bag of good and evil. No matter who we are, they're a mixed bag. And the problem with scripture is that we elevate these characters, these men and these women, to places they were never meant to be elevated to. And so we've made Moses, many of us, we've made Moses some sort of a hero. And I've studied a lot this past week and in the weeks prior and trying to figure out how to teach. And there, there are countless sermons, pastors, telling their people to be like Moses. I, I got a hard time with that. Because that means you need to go murder somebody and then bury them in the sand and then run to the wilderness. There's, there's a lot that happens here. And it happens throughout scripture. They're confusing. Are, are they good? Are they bad? Is Samson good? Is he, is he bad? What is, I don't know. What is he? Is David good? Well, yeah, but he's also bad because he's an adulterer and a murderer. So what is he? And he's a man after God's own heart. They're, it's confusing. Are they good? Are they bad? Am I supposed to like them? Am I supposed to hate them? And so to make sense of it, we try to fill in the gaps. And we attach value and attributes to people that just are not true of them. We make heroes out of people who were never meant to be heroes. Then what happens is we begin to build a theology based on a man rather than based on the character of God. Then what happens is this. Then we build scales in our minds about who is good and who is evil. 
And if we've learned anything from Disney movies is that we should be good and not evil. And so we pursue good. And in the moments that we feel evil, we lie about the evil so that we can come across good. And in doing so, we begin to build this theology in which we have believed our own hype and we become the heroes in the story. We're the ones who saved our family. We're, we're the ones who rescued our spouse. We're the ones who did the right thing when they did the wrong thing. And then what happens is we look down on the people that we consider evil. Because I might, I might gossip, but I sure, I sure haven't murdered anyone. So we begin to build scales in which to live our lives and to build this paradigm of life around. And we've done it in scripture as well. So I'm gonna say to you this morning, Exodus chapter two, verses 11 through 22, Moses is not the hero, God is. Moses is not the point, God is. And you see it in Moses' life. Moses began to think that he was the hero. He saw the plight of his people and he thought, I'll take matters into my own hands and I'll save my people. So he goes and he murders the Hebrew or the Egyptian slave master as if to say, I can handle this. He had uh, begun to believe his own hype that he was something uh, unique. Some kind of power was upon him. And instead of trusting God, he trusted in his own means. And we see what happened. His whole life falls apart. He had everything, and then he loses it. Now, we're gonna study throughout scripture this morning, and I need you to give yourself some grace as we do it. I learned this uh, just here recently in my own mind that you can't know things you don't know. And you don't know them until you know them. I know it's brilliantly profound, but it's true. We're gonna make some connections to scripture and what you're gonna do if you're like me is you're gonna be like, oh, I should have known that. I've been in church for this long. How did I not know that? You don't know until you know. So I wanna give yourself some grace there and understand this. It is the role of the pastor to teach people the Bible. So you're allowed to learn something today and not have to fake it like, oh yeah, I knew that. It's okay. You can learn it today. You have permission to learn it today. All right, so let's begin with this. Romans chapter three, Paul quotes from Psalm 14, but he says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. None lives rightly, no one. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good. That's our baseline this morning. None of us in here are righteous. None of us. None of us of our own choosing have pursued God. None of us have. None of us are good, not even one. None of us. That's the baseline of the gospel. Now, if it stays there, that's really sad and depressing but it gets better, but this is our baseline for the morning from Romans chapter three. Moses is just a man like you and like me. So as we read, we need to use our sanctified imaginations. Let's try to feel the things he's feeling, put ourselves in those shoes. And for some of us this morning, that's gonna be an easy task because we've been there. We've thrown our lives away. We, we pursued something. We were in a really good place and then we just squandered all of it in a decision made in the midst of passion or anger or lust or greed, we made some decisions that took us to places we never thought we would end up before. 
And so relating to Moses is simple for us. And there are some of us who looked at those of us who relate to Moses, and you looked at us uh, like ridiculous, evil sinners. Well, this is for you today too. No one's righteous. No, not one. So let's try to get here with Moses. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up. So now, according to Acts chapter seven, he is 40 years old. 40, he's not a young man anymore. Um, he, he, his joints hurt when he plays flag football. He thinks he's still 20, uh, but he's not. And so he's 40 years old. When he'd grown up, he went out to, and then it says his people. When we last left Moses 38 something years ago, remember he had been rescued, he had been drawn out of the water. And even, even his name, he didn't draw himself out, he was drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. Remember Moses' sister is there and, and she says, hey, do you want me to get somebody to nurse him? And so she runs back and gets Moses' mom. Moses' mom nurses, kind of raises him, then he gets raised in Pharaoh's courts, in, in the palace by the king of Egypt. So where we've last picked up so for 38 years, he's been indoctrinated by Egyptian politics, Egyptian religion, Egyptian customs, Egyptian values. He's been raised with this understanding, but he's been given the best education, the best of food, uh, the best of lodging. While the Hebrew people are in slavery, he is being fed grapes with palm fronds being waved in front of him. According to Acts chapter seven, Stephen tells us there came a moment, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. In other words, God put it into his heart to go out and see these Hebrew men and women. And what we learn here in Hebrews chapter two, verse 11, there was a moment where they were no longer the Hebrews, they were his people. Now, while Moses is not the hero, we're gonna see a consistent pattern in his life. Moses hates injustice, hates it makes his blood boil, stirs up something in him. He goes out to his people, he looked upon their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, Hebrew one of his people. Hebrews 11 uh, tells us this in verse 24 that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Something has changed for Moses where he's not content to sit in luxury, but there's something wrong with how the world is being run. He has to fix it. Then verse 12, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So the question we wanna ask and what the answer to is, was he justified in murdering the Egyptian. Was that okay? Because he was beating a Hebrew. I would think that would be okay. What's interesting is that the author of Exodus tells us nothing in regards to his intent. I don't know. And that's left for us to try to figure out. We don't know. We know he hated injustice. Maybe his heart was right, but his actions were wrong. Maybe, maybe uh, the actions were right, they were at the wrong time. We don't know. But we do know he looked this way and that, so he knew something was wrong. Verse 13, and when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Hello, kettle, meat pot. And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? You wanna kill us? You wanna kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? 
Moses was pretty sure nobody saw. And Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. So pick up what's happened. Moses has a moment of realizing, I'm not an Egyptian. This is not me. This is not how I was born into. This is not my heritage. This is unfair. And he goes out to see what's actually been going on. His eyes are now open to the slavery and injustice, the oppression that's happening to his people. And in a moment of rage, which we will learn about Moses, this is his problem. He's a man of rage. He's a man who acts before he thinks. He's a man who, when it gets riled up within him, he says things and does things that he would later come to regret. This is who Moses is. This is his character. Kills the, uh, the Egyptian slave master. Hides him in the sand. And then the next day he goes out thinking, okay, I've drawn the line in the sand. I'm no longer Egyptian. I am with the Hebrews. And so he has a conversation with the Hebrews and the Hebrews say, we don't want any of you on our side anyway. So this man who a day earlier had everything makes what he thinks is the right decision only to lose his Egyptian status and now his Hebrew friendships or or future relationships. He's lost all of it. He's lost his status and he's lost his heritage. Acts 7 says that he supposed his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So now Moses, at the age of 40, is left without a people, and he's left without an identity. No longer wants to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and no longer uh, is identified as a Hebrew by his own Hebrew people. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So Moses does what you and I would do, we run. He tried the fight thing, now he's full on flight, and he's running. It's known by Pharaoh, I have no one here to defend me on either side of the aisle, and he runs now, and he runs into the wilderness, and he ends up at a place called Midian. He once had everything. He had everything he could want, uh, educated by the best Teachers and scholars, trained in the ways, uh, looking towards future leadership in Egypt, who's running the world at the time. And he finds himself in a place called Midian and he sits down by a well. And maybe some of you can relate to this feeling of, I've lost everything and it's all my fault. I did this to myself. He probably began to replay all the events in his mind. If I would have done this differently or that differently, I can't believe I let that get to me. Why, why would this happen? Why was I born to this people? Why, why was I raised like this? Why did God let this happen to me? But at the end of the day, the feeling of shame and guilt of, but I've done this to myself. I don't deserve anything else. And so he sits down by a well. We've learned a few clues here though for paying attention. And the first is this, he's in Midian, and the Hebrew word Midian means strife. The author calls it the land of Midian or the land of strife. Anybody visited the land of strife lately? Moses runs from one situation, goes the only way he knows how to go, and he ends up in a land called Midian which means strife, and he sits down by a well. Now Midian, uh, for us, 
we gotta remember Exodus is book two of a five-part series. And we learned about Midian all the way back in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons, you are one of them, so am I. Abraham uh, was married to Sarah. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Sarah uh, passed away, so Abraham remarried in Genesis chapter 25. And he married a woman whose name was Keturah. And from Keturah, he had uh, six other sons, one of whom's name was Midian. Moses comes from the family line of Abraham and Sarah. Midian from the family line of Abraham and Keturah. Where Moses finds himself is not necessarily a foreign land. But he finds himself here in the land of strife, ordained by God many years earlier. So then the questions for us are this. Okay, but is this a safe place? Has he just run from one danger to another? Because we've seen that movie. Or is this a safe place? Those are the questions we're asking. If we're reading or hearing this for the first time, okay, what's, where is, is this a safe place for him? Is he going to be okay? What will, will he find here? Particularly if you're hearing this in Hebrew and it says the land of strife, you wonder what's gonna happen here in the land of strife. Is it good? Is it safe? Well, here's what we know about Midian. Midian changes over time. Sometimes it is a good place. Sometimes it isn't. Here, God uses Midian to save Moses, but later God would use Moses to overthrow Midian who was oppressing God's people. This whole environment of Midian, it changes, like strife does, doesn't it? Because sometimes strife leads you to security and safety and it saves you and sometimes it overwhelms you. This is not a lesson about, hey, if you're ever in danger, you should run right into more danger. That's what you should do. If you're ever struggling in your life, you should look for where things are harder and then go there. That's what you should do. That's not the lesson. The lesson is that God uses particular places and particular seasons how he wishes to use them for his glory and for your good. And in this land of strife, God has a plan for Moses. But then we're given another clue that we miss if we haven't read deeply through Genesis. He sat down by a well. We're given this detail and it's important for us to understand. And if we had read and understood deeply the entire history of Genesis, this would stick out to us. Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's son Isaac is getting older and he hasn't married yet. And some of you know what that's like because you have kids. You're like, could you please? Maybe just find someone, anyone, I don't care. Just find someone. Abraham said, sends out his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. That's how bad Isaac, he can't even do it on his own. So like, anybody wanna be a wingman? Let me send the wingman out and he's gonna go. And so Abraham's servant goes out to try to find a wife for Isaac. I think it's the first catfishing we see here in the Old Testament. So he sends him out and the servant finds himself by a well. And he ends up finding a wife for Isaac, okay? So we know that happens at a well out in a foreign land in the wilderness. But it gets better in Genesis chapter 29. We meet Jacob. Jacob's brother is Esau. Jacob, like Moses, has his own issue with sin, but his is greed. 
And so Jacob, whose name means deceiver, loves it. And Jacob deceives his elderly father, tricking him into giving him his brother Esau's birthright. His father, maybe one of the richest men on the face of the earth at this time, gets probably what's probably equivalent of millions of dollars by stealing it from his brother Esau. Esau is not gonna have any of it, so Esau hires a group of men that we would call a militia to go hunt down his brother Jacob. And Jacob runs from his, from his land to a foreign land, from his country into a wilderness, and he sits down by a well. And while he's at the well, a shepherdess appears, and her name is Rachel. He helps her draw water. She runs back home and tells her father, Laban, I just met a man at a well. And Laban says, why did you leave that man there? Bring him here. And so he does. And Jacob meets Laban. And Laban gives Jacob his daughter, Rachel, and eventually gives him Leah in marriage. So what we've learned for paying attention is that God intervenes at wells in foreign places. And he provides for people the thing they're longing for. Moses has lost everything and he's lost everyone. No family, no friends, no identity. No job, no career, nothing. And we learn here in Exodus chapter two that he sits down by a well and then in verse 16, we learn there's a priest of Midian who had seven daughters. And they happened to come to this very same well in the land of strife and they drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's almost as if we've seen this thing play out before. It's almost as if God is unbelievably consistent with how he works. And she has seven daughters, so he meets, or he has seven daughters, and he meets these daughters of a priest. Moses had been educated in the Egyptian school system and given all the Egyptian culture and uh, everything that they, he had been taught there. Sure, he had a Hebrew mother who probably taught him a few things as she was raising him, but now he's got this moment in which God will take a Hebrew educated by an Egyptian and put him in a family to be educated by his father-in-law, a Hebrew priest, Midianite priest, a follower of God. Now, we don't know this until later, but Moses would spend 40 years out here in the land of strife with his father-in-law. He would become a shepherd himself, working in what's called the wilderness of Sinai. And God would lead him on some crazy day, a few verses later, to the backside of a mountain called Horeb, which would later be called Mount Sinai, where God would meet with him there 40 years later. But here at this well, God intervenes. God meets with him. What's interesting is that Moses deserves nothing of this. Moses has murdered a man. Moses has run from responsibility, has run from career, has, has ruined his life. But again, it's not about whether or not Moses is good or bad. It's about the faithfulness of God to his people. And God intervenes. Verse 17, shepherds came and drove the girls away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. So what we see now is that maybe a couple days, maybe a week later, Moses comes face to face with more injustice. And you have to think Moses is like, are you serious? Again? 
But now he has another shot. And so the question we're wondering is, what are you gonna do, Moses? You gonna kill a man and bury him in the sand again? How are we gonna handle this? How are we going to handle it? And what we know is that Moses' heart is that he hates injustice. And we know that Moses often acts out of rage and anger. But he stands up and he saves them. We don't know how, details aren't there, it's not important. What we know is that he rescued them and watered their flock. And when the girls came home to their father, Ruel, he said to them, how is it you've come home so soon today? Now what's interesting is that we meet their father and here in Exodus 2, we're given his name as Ruel. So we move forward in the rest of the story, even just a few verses later, his name is no longer Ruel, his name is Jethro. Which then begs the question, why would the author call him Ruel here instead of Jethro? Well, I think it's because his name in Hebrew means friend of God. In the midst of Moses running, in the midst of his life falling apart by his own hands, God sends him a friend. Sends him a friend named Ruel. And Ruel asks the girls, Why, where, where, where is this man in verse, or verse 19? They say an Egyptian, just to, again, continue the thought that nobody knows who Moses is. He doesn't know who he is. He's lost it all. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, even drew water for us and watered the flock. And like any good father of daughters, he said, then where is this good man? Why have you left him? I've been trying to find a man for you for years. Just get off of my couch. <laughs> Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread or come have dinner with us. So they go and they find him. Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. More from her later. And she gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Well, the name Gershom means banished or lonely. So here's what you need to understand about Moses. Moses is a lot like you and me. And Moses had a lot of things in his life. And then Moses, like a lot of you and me, ruined it all, threw it all away. Some bad decisions over time, maybe a moment of rage, maybe a moment of greed, a moment of lust, and he's lost all of it. And he runs and he finds himself in a place where the patriarchs had been before. That if he really knew the Hebrew faith, if he really knew what happened before he even came to the earth, he would have known about Jacob. He would have known about Isaac's wife. He would have known about the servant of Abraham. He would have known about everything that happens at Wells. And he would have known from Genesis chapter 29 this story. And he would have recognized, I'm living that same story. Right now it's happening. And his eyes would have been open to, okay, all is not lost. But yet he didn't know. He couldn't see the hand of God in the land of Midian. So as it's all working and moving and God even gives him a wife and then gives him a son, Moses can't see the blessing and all he sees is his strife. And he names his son banished or lonely as if to say, this is how I still feel. I am without a people. I am without an identity. I've got nothing. And sure, I've got this man, this father-in-law who has given me his daughter and now I have a son, but I still feel lonely and I feel banished. Well, here's the gift that you and I have that Moses didn't have. We get to read this. We get to see accounts of the hand of God and we get to see the unbelievable consistency in which God works. 
And sure, we have seasons of doubt and questioning, but the questions always start with this. Well, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve a friend of God. I don't deserve for him to meet me at a well. I don't deserve a new name and a new identity and a new place and a new people. I don't deserve those things. Well, you're reading it wrong because Moses didn't either. And Abraham didn't either. And Isaac didn't either. And Jacob didn't either. But we have this story for us. Now, wells continue, don't they, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. Jesus comes, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the great deliverer who would deliver his people from their own slavery uh, to sin in their own Egypt. And he would uh, begin his ministry and word would get out that he might be the Messiah, he might be someone, but he would never confirm it. Then there comes this moment in John chapter four where Jesus has to make a journey and John tells us in chapter four that he must needed, he had to go through a town called Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria, but he did. And in John chapter four, Jesus goes through a town in Samaria and he finds himself seated at a well. And there he meets this woman who is not looking for a spouse because she's had many of them. She's not looking for that, she's already had them, but she comes in the middle of the day because she too, like Moses, is living a life full of shame and guilt and regret. And at this well where she came to draw water, she meets Jesus. And Jesus walks her back through her life. He brings things back up to her that she has to walk in and walk through. And he says to her, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me for this water because I could give you living water that would sustain you. And she says, sir, then give me this water. And then she says something along the lines of, I heard there's a Messiah coming. Have you heard of him? And then Jesus, who hasn't told a soul who he is, looks at this woman in the midst of her own strife a life ruined by her own actions. And for the first time on this planet, he tells someone, I am that Messiah. This woman now runs and tells everybody else that she has met Jesus. This woman who was a woman and uh, below class, like no, no reputation, had no standing in a court of law. On top of that, she had been married a handful of times. And even the man she was living with now was not her husband's, made her an adulteress. This woman, in, still in the midst of sin, meets Jesus. And this is the one that Jesus intends to tell, I am the Messiah, now go tell everyone. Do you see it? Do you see the message of the gospel at the well in the land of Midian? Moses isn't qualified here. He shouldn't be given a second chance. He shouldn't be uh, meeting a friend of God. And he can't see it. But I'm praying by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that you can. That you can see it. That God's relationship with you isn't, isn't based on your qualifications. It isn't based on your effort. It isn't based on your purity or your righteousness because none of us are righteous, not one. None of us are the hero. But 
God is unbelievably consistent with how he works. So with this one last well in John chapter four, we learn the heart of God. And I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I don't know if you find yourself like Moses. And you find yourself in the middle of your life, having thrown it all away, squandered all of it. Maybe you had a good family. You had a spouse who loved you. You had uh, kids who, um, who, who loved you. You had a family. You had a home. You had a career. And then you had a moment in which you threw it all away. I need you to know this morning, you're not alone. This room is full of people just like you. And this book is full of people just like you. And the people in this room and the stories in this book would tell you the very same thing, that God is faithful and he shows up at the well. No, you don't deserve anything. And that's why God gives us grace. And maybe you feel like, yeah, you know, if I was in my 20s, I could have I figured it out and moved forward. But now, now you're in your 40s, now you're in your 50s. You've made some business decision in your 60s that's cost you your retirement. And you've thrown it all away. You've been greedy, you've been lustful, you've been angry. And you find yourself in a land of strife, wondering, God, were you ever? And then the enemy reminds you, no, he never will because you don't deserve it. And the gospel tells you to tell the enemy to shut his mouth because no one deserves it, not one. And yet God is faithful. So maybe that's you this morning and you're like Moses and you've been on the run and you're painfully aware of the fact that you don't deserve it. Well, I've got good news for you. That's the gospel. You don't. And neither do I. But God, who is rich in mercy. And there are some of us this morning who we have Moses in our lives. And rather than being a friend of God and rushing to sit with and to help and to walk through, we're more like Pharaoh sending people after him to chase him. And you've got friends and you've got a spouse who's made some awful decisions. And it's cost them and it's cost you. And your spouse, your friend, your, your parent, your son, your daughter is sitting by a well, wondering where God is. Realizing they've messed it all up. They've ruined the marriage. They've ruined the business. They've ruined the relationship. And what that person does not need is a militia of people to attack him or attack her. What that person needs is a friend of God who would come alongside and say, ah, yes, I remember Romans 3. No, not one is righteous. Help, let me help you draw the water from the well. So this morning, my invitation to you is to come to the well where there is living water that sustains and it's not given to you because you've earned it. It's given to you because God is faithful and gracious. This is who he is. It's been his character from the beginning of time. This is a God who never gives up on his people, never leaves them, never forsakes them. 
And what we'll see for Moses over the next 40 years of his life is that God is building up a man that he would call to go back to that land of Egypt to set his people free the right way. Your story is not over. God's not done with you. He'll meet you at the well. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I just wanna, I'm gonna ask you to go there this morning. I know the tactics of the enemy to tell us we have no value, we have no worth, there's nothing God can do with people like you and people like me. And I would say, I beg you to read Exodus chapter two. Beg you to read John chapter four. I beg you to read John chapter eight. I beg you to read John chapter 21. But that's not the message of the gospel. We've gotten it wrong. It's not who God is. God is a rescuer and a redeemer and a faithful companion. That's who he is. So maybe this morning you're feeling like Moses. In a second here, we're gonna sing that song again, the story I'll tell. And maybe what you need to do is you need to come up here and just have an honest conversation with the Lord. You need to come to the well and sit exposed begging for grace and mercy. And maybe what's gonna happen is maybe, maybe you're gonna have a loved one come up here. And while you've spent years, months, days accusing and condemning, I can't believe you did this to our family. Maybe today you come forward, you're actually a friend. And you come alongside and say, no, no, no. You know what God does? God restores and redeems. And he gives back the years the locusts have eaten. That's what he does. You don't have to deserve it. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing. I'm gonna invite you to. You can sit, you can stand, whatever you feel like you need to do. Let these words be your anthem. Let them be your song about the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that this story is not just one that's written thousands of years ago, God. It's a story that continues throughout our lives. And God, I know there are people in the room today who feel beat up, who feel uh, neglected, who feel of their own doing, by their own hands, they've ruined anything they have for a shot of the future. Father, would you take them here? Take them to the well in the land of strife that they might meet you. And for those of us today who think that we're the hero and we are better than God, would you convict us to remind us that we have no standing before you but for the grace of God? And would you help us to be a friend of yours? A friend who lines up with the good news of the gospel. A friend who points people to you and helps to draw water from the well. In Jesus' name, amen.